There's a life verse in 2 Peter 3.18 that I'd like you to make your own. And it goes like this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Keep on growing. I'm so glad that you're part of this broadcast, that you're tuning in, and I pray that you are growing. We're going to look more at growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. There are many times, if you turn back to 2 Peter, that Jesus addressed the return that he would make. He promised he was coming again. That's straight from the mouth of Jesus, so you can take it to the bank. That's captured in Day of the Lord language. In the rest of the New Testament, Jesus is coming again. And of that day and hour, the Father knows. Uh, I believe the Son knows now. On the earth, Jesus said, only the Father knows. Not even the angels know. God knows the day of the hour. God has fixed that day. I don't know. Now, I can have an idea of the signs of the times. I believe the Bible teaches that we can understand the season of that coming. But whatever time that you live, we're to live in the light of the second coming. And somebody might say, well, what about God's delay, though? The, the skeptics, the mockers have been asking, well, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they did from the time of creation. And we get an answer, and Peter responds, the Lord, 2 Peter 3, 9, is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Why is God patient? Because he doesn't want any to perish, but what? Here's how you know God's heart. God wants all to come to repentance. God has put off the return of Jesus Christ for one reason, according to 2 Peter 3, 9. The reason he's been slow about it, if you want to count it as slowness, although to the Lord, a day is like what? A thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. So for the Lord, it's not been slow. To us, maybe it's been slow. But in that slowness, in that patience, what has it meant for the world? It has meant that many more, a harvest of souls, has come into the kingdom. And so 15 of 2 Peter 3, we are to regard or count or bear in mind the patience of the Lord or of our Lord to be what? To be salvation. How many more people have been saved if, let's say, for example, Jesus returned in 65 AD, Peter's writing this letter somewhere between 65, 66, and 68 AD. Let's say that he returned right before Peter died. Now, Peter might appreciate that. But 2,000 years of church history wouldn't have happened, and there would be a lot less people in the kingdom over the last 2,000 years. How many people have entered into the kingdom of God? I don't know. Would you, would you agree millions and millions and millions? Yes. And if the Lord had returned in the 1950s, Michael Lance isn't in the kingdom of God. And I take that quite personally. See, I regard the patience of the Lord as salvation. Now sometimes, and this is biblical, we, we know the Bible says Maranatha. What's that mean? Come, Lord Jesus. We want the Lord to come. But when do we typically say, oh, Lord, just come now. Come now. 
Here's what it is. Let's get real. It's not across the board, but I think this is true. I haven't been feeling good for quite a long time. It would be nice if the Lord comes now. Uh, this world's going to hell in a handbasket, right? Jesus, come now. We have our reasons to want to ramp up the coming, but I'm not sure there are always reasons related to the kingdom of God. I think sometimes they're largely related to the kingdom of Michael. Everybody with me? We sometimes, and I'm not saying this is true across the board, but I know for me, if I were to analyze the times when I have really said, oh Lord, just come now. It's usually because my personal world wasn't going as well as I would like it to go. Just come, Lord. Everything's messed up. People are messed up, right? Freeways are messed up. But what we want to do is understand that the Lord's delay, the divine delay, has meant salvation for a number of souls. And what God wants from you and from me, please hear me well, is productive waiting. What do you think he wants? See, if the world is going to experience salvation, the tools to bring that message of salvation is you and me. Productive waiting means in concert with God Almighty, I preach the gospel so I can get as many people in before that coming arrives. That is productive waiting. And the guy writing this was super productive. The first 10 chapters of the book of Acts are about Peter preaching in Jerusalem, preaching, then affirming the preaching of Philip in Samaria, preaching in the Gentile house of Cornelius, and opening the door of the gospel to Jew, Samaritan, and Gentile. Paul, who's going to be mentioned in the next few verses, or at least the, one of the verses, was productive. From Acts 10, really, on the rest of the book of Acts is about a man named Saul who becomes Paul. What does he do? He goes all over the Roman world, pushing as many into the kingdom, if I can put it that way, as possible by preaching the gospel in Athens and Corinth and anywhere else he went, planting churches and being productive. You've got so much time, so do I. Same 24 hours in a day, you get to decide how productive you want to be. It's that simple. And Peter says the way you need to look at God's delay, if you will, if you want to put it in the language of delay, God's patience is because God wants a bunch of people to be saved. In fact, God doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want anybody to end up condemned in hell under the judgment. And so he waits. And he is so patient. He is much more patient than I am. He's extremely patient, even to the degree that a thief on the cross can say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today, you will be with me in paradise. And he waits, and he waits, and he waits. And there are people that you know, some people that you would say, man, I never thought this person would ever even be open to the gospel. And one of your friends has been saved recently. Some of you may be shocked. Man, I never thought he was going to become a Christian. And that friend, that, that family member is now a believer. Thank God for his patience. Thank God that Jesus didn't come back five years ago or 10 years ago or even 10 months ago. For some of us, right? For some of us, we've just recently rededicated our lives and we are regretting the, the years we gave away. 
And we're saying, I want to redeem the next decade or two or three to the Lord. But that would mean that he doesn't come in the next decade or two or three. I'd like him to come, don't get me wrong. I want to see my Lord. But I also know he's got business to do and people to hear the gospel and people he wants saved. And the question that he asked in Luke 18 is when the Lord comes, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What do you think that means? Does that mean, do you think he'll find believers? Or do you think he's saying, when the Son of Man comes, will he find his people busy about his business? He does say in that same section, occupy until I come. And so there is such a way to redeem the waiting. The way you redeem the waiting is you're productive. Because our Lord's patience, verse 15, chapter 3, is salvation, soteria, deliverance. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. Paul wrote about God's salvation. Paul wrote about productive waiting. Here's a few verses. Romans 2.4 says, Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Romans 2.4. 1 Corinthians 13.4 says, Love is patient. Remember we often say you could take the word love and replace it with Jesus or God. God is patient. God is kind. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. And then in 1 Timothy 1, 16, Paul wrote, Yet for this reason I found mercy, in order that in me as the foremost or chief of sinners, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Have you ever just said something like this? Lord, thank you for your patience. How long did you fight the Lord? Are you fighting the Lord tonight? What it take for you to yield? How many people witnessed to you? How many of your friends told you the same thing? Some of you got saved maybe after the first gospel presentation, but a lot of you fought it. A lot of you waited and God waited for you. It's pretty amazing. Paul wrote about these things. He wrote to you from the wisdom given to him from above. And Peter says, as also 16 in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, and I think it relates to the previous verse about the patience of God and the day of the Lord of the second coming specifically, in which are some things hard to understand. Now, Peter said that some of the things that Paul wrote are hard to understand. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. I just want to share my heart for a second. We have a website called walkintruth.com and we put up a store and we're adding more and more products to it. But one of the reasons I want to get you to that store is that you can partner with us in the ministry. You know, radio airtime costs money and we want to reach more people. If you're being blessed by this ministry, one of the ways that you can partner with us is to go to the website and purchase a product. You can also purchase my book on the Armor of God. I'll get you a signed copy. And whatever you give to the ministry will go directly to paying for radio airtime. That's one way you can partner with us. You can help us reach more people like you. And you can partner with us in the gospel ministry. It's a great thing. We appreciate you. We love you. Pray for us. We'll keep praying for you. Reach out to us today through the store at walkintruth.com. 
That's walkintruth.com. God bless you. From the wisdom given to him from above, and Peter says, as also 16 in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, and I think it relates to the previous verse about the patience of God and the day of the Lord of the second coming specifically, in which are some things hard to understand. Now, Peter said that some of the things that Paul wrote are hard to understand. Does that give you a little bit of like, oh, cool. You mean Peter read some of Paul's stuff and said, hey, that... That's hard to understand. Yeah, that means sometimes when you read your Bible, and I would recommend if you're new to the Bible, don't read the King James. Let me tell you why. The King James Bible was written in 1611. The English language has changed quite a bit since 1611. Would you agree? That's 407 years ago. So when you open your Bible and you see the thee, thou's, and the thou'est, and the thinest, and whatever, that's hard. So I would encourage you to get a modern translation because that will clear up some of it. New American Standard, New King James, ESV, NIV. Get a modern translation. I prefer the New American Standard, but there's some good translations out there. Some things, though, even with the right translation, true to the original text, some things are hard to understand. In fact, Paul mentions several times in the Bible that I tell you a mystery. The Greek word mystery, musterion, means a sacred secret once concealed, now revealed. But even when sacred secrets are revealed, we don't always know everything that they mean. Paul wrote some things about the day of the Lord and the revealing of the the man of sin and, and apostasy. And he said, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. There's a lot of things. Romans 9, 10, and 11. How much debate's been about Romans 9, 10, and 11? About election and predestination and Jacob and Esau and Israel and the Gentiles. And there's been a lot of debate about some of these texts because some of them are incredibly deep. But these things that Paul wrote about in his letters, verse 16, as Peter talks about Paul's letters, some things are hard to understand And here's the problem. The untaught, amethes, means the ignorant, or just what it says, the untaught, and unstable, distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. And notice this, to their own destruction. There are people who get a hold of Paul's letters, the bulk of the New Testament's written by the Apostle Paul, and even Peter's letters. And here's the problem. Some people are simply untaught and they're trying to teach others. There are people who have entrusted their eternal destiny to shysters, to men in the recent generations who have been proven to be false just by the records that we can see of their lives. Don't play Russian roulette with your soul. Now, I want someone who is well-informed that I'm going to listen to teach me the Bible. Amen? And there are a lot of good teachers. Turn on Christian radio, one after the other after the other. If you're on the right station, if you're on KKLA, if you're on K-Wave, you're doing pretty well. 
Just about every teacher is a big gun in the Christian world. And you're going to do well. You, have, you can have a wireless seminary. If you're in sales, if you, whatever you may do, you're in freeway traffic, redeem that time by listening to Christian radio. Get on an app of a church that you trust and listen to messages. It'll make all the difference. But there are some untaught people, the ignorant teaching the ignorant, and that is a disaster. It doesn't do you well if you are listening to someone who doesn't understand what they're talking about. And there have been records. I'll give you one example. There was a record of the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, Charles Taze Russell, who was put on uh, the witness stand in a legal court of law because he sued a pastor for libel. There was a pastor back in the day who took Charles Taze Russell, founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, to task because he was teaching false doctrine. This is in the area of Pennsylvania. Well, Charles Taze Russell, the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, sued the pastor. The case went to an open court. These are all public records. Charles Taze Russell claimed that he knew the original languages, that he was a pastor. And when on the witness stand, he was asked to just identify simple Greek letters. And he committed perjury because he didn't know the Greek language. That's the record of the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, look, I'm not saying that you need to be a Greek scholar to teach the Bible. I'm no Greek scholar. I know some Greek, but I, I, I don't know half of what a lot of people know. But there are tools today where you can check yourself and you can make sure that you're on track with what the Bible teaches. And I'll just say to you, the book of James says this, let not many of you become teachers for we will incur what? The stricter judgment. When you're talking about people's souls, when you're talking about eternal destinies, when you're talking about truth about God as our creator, there's a lot at stake. Don't you agree? And so we want to be diligent. Doesn't mean, you, you, you know, uh, people who are formally or informally taught, that's not the issue. The issue is whether you're cutting the word of God straight. There are untaught people and then there are, un are unstable people. Believe me, I have met some unstable Christians over the years. I heard another uh, teacher saying that he's met uh, Enoch and Elijah a couple times over the years. Uh, not because he actually met them, but because there were individuals who came to him identifying themselves as Enoch and Elijah. And, uh, you know, those people are out there. There have been people along the way that have identified themselves as Jesus Christ. We were doing a call-in radio show and a lady called up. And after a few introductory comments, she said, I am. And we were like, what? And she said, I am. A second time, we were like, you are who? <laughs> oh, I am the one. And she was sitting there on the phone on a Bible answer show claiming to be the Messiah or to be God. Uh, you can make a claim all day long. There are many unstable people in the world. It is not good when they are in pulpits because unstable people who take, you know, there's a lot of what I would call religious hysteria. There are people who can take the Bible and they start to come up with some fanciful ideas. And if they bring something new to you, it's probably not true. Because truth has been constant since the word of God was recorded. And so they say, oh, well, I got some new truth, man. Here's what it is. 
Uh, this is the way you got to do things or you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. They have comments like that. Well, I would just say run to the nearest exit. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Untaught, unstable people, uh, they're out there. And what they do, if you take a look at the verse, is they twist the scriptures. The word, uh, the unstable distort is rendered twist. The word means, verse 16, to wrench, to pull, to distort, to move or wrench something out of its intended context. And when that happens, you can have a whole movement that's born off of a false interpretation. And they're out there, and they're on television channels even tonight. You can go home and watch some of them. But they twist the scriptures, sadly, and they twist them to their own destruction. I want you to notice that Paul's letters, Peter calls Paul's letters scripture in verse 16. You have affirmation from Peter that what Paul wrote was scripture, which is interesting because it's within the generation of these two men, and Peter is calling Paul's letters scripture. Now, there are some skeptics, you can turn on some of the channels, the modern channels, who say, oh, the Bible wasn't put together until long after the apostles' death. At the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, that's when they decided what books in, what were books were inspired, what books were not. Well, apparently, Peter already knew that Paul's letters were inspired in the 60s AD. So all you gotta do is read the Bible to answer a lot of these questions. But the skeptics don't believe the Bible. They don't believe the supernatural. And so that's kind of what you have going on here. So let me just say this. The way to avoid being duped and potentially destroyed or shipwrecked in your faith is to be well taught and to be steadfast. It's to continue to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you say that today uh, we have probably more resource, resources at our fingertips than maybe in any time in history? When I first started out, I wrote my sermons on a legal pad. And when I wanted to quote a scripture within the sermon, I wrote out the entire scripture, which was a good exercise, but I did it all by hand. Now today on my computer, I've got Bible programs. I can look up Greek and Hebrew words. I can take a scripture, copy it, and paste it into my notes. I have all kinds of Bible teachers, all kinds of Bible colleges we have no excuse to be fooled, you guys. We really don't. And so Peter says, look, there are people who are changing the meaning there. They are taking the Bible, look at the end of 16, but they distort what? The scriptures. It's not like they're not sitting there with a Bible, but they're distorting the Bible. That tells you something. It's possible to twist the scriptures. And the end is destruction. Greek word, it means to be damned. It means to end up under the ultimate judgment of God. Can you imagine being a person who led millions of people astray and whoop, you end up one day before God? How do you think that meeting's gonna go? How do you think it's gonna go for a person who said, oh, I didn't really believe you existed. I just started a religion so I could make a bunch of money. You know who did that? L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology. The easiest way to make a million dollars in the United States 
start a religion. And he did. And you know how, how much money the uh, religion of Scientology is sitting on today? So much so that they started their own channel recently. There is now a Scientology channel on television. Do you know how they can afford that? Because everyone who joins Scientology is basically forced to give money until they get clear and then get to a level called OT8. And when you get to OT8, you start the whole process all over again. And by the time you get to OT8, you've given Scientology probably at least a million dollars. That's how they're sitting on top of an empire. If you haven't seen Leah Remini's series on Scientology, you ought to watch it because it's an example of what Peter is talking about. Look, I'm not making this up, you guys. If, if you've come in here tonight and you think, well, this is, this is a little strong, this is a little harsh, I'm just simply telling you what Peter said was happening in his day. It hasn't stopped. There's distortion. So what should we do in response to it, you might ask? Well, we're told in the last two verses, you, therefore, if you're a believer tonight, this is for you, beloved, and you need to know that you are loved by God. You're the beloved of God. This is why he would warn you. Knowing this beforehand, since you know this is true, that this kind of stuff's going to be out there, what should you do? Be on your guard. Be careful. Test everything and hold fast to that which is true. Hey, folks, I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with Walk in Truth. Download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll find a lot of cool resources. You'll be able to listen to messages. You can access devotionals and you can partner with Walk in Truth and help us reach more people. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth and find a lot of cool resources there. I know it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.